right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition with Real Life Sisters, Arianne Smith and Tiffany Hales. We are here for the month of July. July. We are high, high into summer, <laughs> or as you like to call it, sticky floor season. Sticky floor season. We are in sticky floor season. So tell me, how's your summer been going? Um, it's been good. We've been jotting all over the Western United States on little trips here and there. I know. Every time I try and track you down, I'm like, oh, she's out of town again. We did San Diego. We did the mountains of McCall. You called me last week and you said, are you still my sister? I haven't <laughs> talked to you in forever. We're still doing the Oregon <laughs> coast coming up in a few months. And then in between that, our kids have done all the church things. We had a FSY. We had oh. a girls camp. This is our first FSY experience. Okay. Give me the rundown on what, what you or your daughter thought of the FSY experience. Um, she loved it. So this is my 15-year-old. Um, this is the first time our stake has done FSY. Um, they had to bus them up to northern Idaho because the local university, Boise State here in Boise, was supposed to host many weeks of FSYs for kids here in the Valley. And then they backed out back in January. I don't know if it was like a COVID scare because that was right when Omicron uh-huh. hit, but they backed out. And so the church had to completely scramble as to Ooh. where to send these kids. So they had to bus them out of town. So they had a like well, seven hour bus drive. And for those of you who are not familiar with Idaho, there is no interstate between Boise and Northern Idaho. You are on a state highway system that is two lanes and winds through many yes. a mountain and canyon. Yes. So they bust them up there. Um, she loved it. She had the best time, thought it was a great experience. I looked at the schedule like ahead of time and mm-hmm. it's very much, um, I don't think I realized when they announced that they were going to switch yeah. to this FSY program. I don't think I realized that it is like the exact model of EFY. Ah. They just transferred it over to be FSY. Mm-hmm. They kept the same model. They have like the same types of activities, service projects, counselors mm-hmm. who are paid, um, just like good yeah. old EFY, only yeah. now it is open to all, which and I think is I think so really much cool. better. Yeah. I'm totally better. My, I have a brother-in-law that um, <laughs> ne- never went to FS or never got to go to EFY growing up. And he said him and his kids just used to call it like rich kids camp. <laughs> him and his friends used to call it like yeah. rich EFY's rich, rich kid Mormon camp. EFY's for rich kids, which it was. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, like it's $400. Like, that's what I was going to say yeah. four or $500. And, yeah. you know, if you've got a family of a lot of kids, that adds up fast. Right. Totally. So now it is $75 flat fee for everyone. Okay. Very reasonable. Um, and uh, the stake, obviously, if there's a need, we'll chip in and yes. pay that. They want every kid to go that can go. Um, so it was a great experience for oh. her. There were kids there from... Washington. So they met a few kids from Washington. And then it sounds like majority of the kids were from in the Valley here in Boise, our stake, and then maybe a couple of other stakes. Yeah. Because our Um, stake didn't do FSY this year. We mm -hmm. didn't trek. So I think in two years, you'll probably probably be next year because I think they're going to do it every other year. Oh, every other year. Okay. So you'll probably be next year. So we'll, you'll be interesting to see if they get to go to BSU next year. Very true. Because I heard they shipped some of them to Logan. Um, I don't know if any got shipped to Eastern Idaho, but they they probably have room in Eastern Idaho. They got a whole slew of teenagers over there. They had to do this with. Yeah. So some went to Logan, some went to uh, Northern Idaho. So very cool. Anyway, she loved it. It was a great experience. So very cool. I'm thrilled. I'm just glad she had a good time. Well, good. Mm -hmm. I'm currently sitting on a ticking time bomb. And we're going to wait and see what takes me out. <laughs> no, I've already told you about this. So I've got two opportunities to be taken out this week. Yes. <laughs> we'll see what hits first or if I'm just going to skate on through. So I spent Saturday with one of my daughters and we're just running around doing errands, hanging out. And we've gone out to eat. We went to Blaze Pizza, which I love. She loves. And after we ate the pizza, she's like, oh, mom, I don't feel very good. She's like, my stomach hurts. And she's been having some stomach issues. And so I just, Mm -hmm. you know, we just assumed it was that. And so, you know, we finished up our errands and everything. And um, she lives with her dad. And so the next day she called me. So this was about two o'clock on Sunday Mm -hmm. afternoon. She called me and she's like, "Um, mom. And I'm like, yes. And she's like, I woke up feeling really bad this morning. And I took a COVID test and I'm positive. (laughs) I'm like, oh, lovely. Now, mind you, 
we had shared, I had taken a sip of her drink. So we had, after, after we ate pizza and ran some errands, we went to Sonic and during happy hour and got sodas. And I just wanted to take a sip of her drink. So I took a sip of her drink and I'm like, I'm doomsday. I'm total doomsday at this point. This is it. If you don't get it now, then you have some type of super immunity. So, and we should all be very jealous. Exactly. (laughs) At this point, I am, I calculated it out. I am 56 hours since exposure tonight, Uh right now, even as we speak. So I figure if I can make it another 24 more hours and not have any symptoms, I may skate on this. We will see. I think the next 24 hours would be the critical, critical (laughs) mass to see if it takes me out. There is no way this latest strain is taking that's everyone with it. You are going down. That is what I hear. <laughs> now I'm just hoping I have immunity because I had it. When did I have it? In May. You had it in May. Exactly. That should buy me a few months, Hopefully right? It buys you a few months. So <laughs> we'll see. But I talked to her tonight before I came over, and her dad that she lives with keeps testing negative, and he's not showing any symptoms. Really? So. Maybe you both have super. I, I, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, anyway. So that's the first thing that could take me out this week, and of course, this is like a hideously busy week. But I did read my guidelines because I went into work today and my guidelines are if you're fully vaccinated and you're not showing any symptoms, you can come to work if you've had an exposure. I think think that's the general rule That is CDC. So I was like, okay, I'm good to go to work. Um, But the other thing that could take me out is I'm on jury duty this week. So my juror number is... 1,169. So I thought, oh, there is no way, no way I'm going to get called in with that high of a jury number. So like I didn't even, I didn't even bother to tell anybody in my office I was on jury duty because I thought there's no way. And I've packed my week with work events. Uh Uh-oh. So I get online last night to see Uh which jurors they're calling in. They were calling in one through 422. And I was like, ooh. On the first day? On the first day. So tomorrow they're not calling anymore in. So we're going to see. What's going to take me out first, COVID or jury duty, or will I skate on both? What would, you, what would you choose? You'd choose jury duty. Oh, I would choose COVID, jury right? duty in a heartbeat. <laughs> Anybody would Are choose that kidding? over COVID. I am a litigator. And so to have the opportunity to sit on a jury. And then you would promptly get dismissed. Maybe, maybe not. You never know. In all likelihood, I might. But um, but yeah, to have the opportunity to sit on a jury and see a courtroom from that vantage point, I, there's not a litigator I know who wouldn't like jump on that just like that. So, well, I would say to do that. I just think I, I know when the summons first came, I was like, mm-hmm. first of all, it'd been less than two years since my last summons. So I was like, what is this? I was like, are they sending out summonses this early for, for, for Chad oh, and Lori? She was so excited. You guys, she was, was like, like, am I going to get on the texting. Chad and Lori jury? She was texting me and my sister. Is it Chad and Lori? And we were both kind of like, I think it's a little early. <laughs> I don't think that trial's coming up yet. <laughs> it's in January, but you know, here's the deal. They're going to have to literally send out thousands, thousands of summonses so I could see them starting early. They anyway. Are. All right. Well, should we move on to some news yes. stories since that is what we're here for? Let's do some news stories related to the church. Um, okay. So this first one I've got, I loved this one. It was wildly entertaining to me. This is about the Utah cookie wars. <laughs> Now, if you have listened to us for any length of time, you know that we were like madly, obsessively excited when the Utah cookie wars spilled into Idaho about mm. what? Was that like four years ago? Yeah, about four or five years ago. About four years ago. Because we love ourselves a good cookie. Yes. About four years ago, we started getting the cookie shops up here. We started yes. with So Delicious. No, we, we started with chip. We got chip. And then we got so Then we delicious. got a so delicious. And then, and then we, we got, got a crumble. crumble. And we were wildly excited. Like we went to the grand opening of so delicious. Oh, yes. <laughs> we're like, we got to figure out what all this buzz is about all these cookies. Exactly. Because we'd heard about it for years happening in Utah. So we are cookie connoisseurs. So um, this was super interesting because we had an article to talk about tonight, and it was an article that came out just a couple of weeks ago, just about the rise of Crumble mm-hmm. in the Utah Cookie Wars and how Crumble has like come out on top of all the others because they, they dominated. Crumble is everywhere now. If you do not have a Crumble where you live, I don't know where you're living. This says <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> living wherever it is. You're living. That's nowhere that I want to live. They have not stayed in Utah. They are in 45 states. And oh, wow. they have 478 
locations. Holy cow. And they've expanded. All of this has happened like in less than the five years. Wow. It's been like, they've just been insanely growing, which if you follow them on Instagram, you yeah. know, every single week they're opening a new store. And this says they have plans to have 600 stores by the end of the year. I don't know how they're doing this. Wow. Well, clearly, clearly <laughs> inflation and economics hasn't hit them. No. So the original article we were going to talk about tonight was just talking about the rise of Crumble. Yes. Crumble is the big the daddy. The rise and the dominance. Yes. Crumble is the big daddy in town, has completely taken, none of the other ones have franchised like this out of state. So Delicious does a little, yeah. So Delicious does a little bit out of state, um, but nothing like this. So they, this whole article was how... Um, Crumble cookies rose to the top by taking like marketing their cookies, like really using the social media yeah. and the marketing. Like they're just as much a marketing cookie co- marketing company as they are a cookie company. But they do have some really good um, cookies. They do have some good, and ones. I like the fact that they change up their cookies right. every week. Well, that's what they said is like part of the strategy yeah. is they change these cookies so they're like limited, so people know. Oh, this I have to go this week yes. if I want this cookie. They create scarcity, which yes. is a good marketing yes. tactic. And then also their little pink box that is like really good for Instagram. Yeah. and posting. And they, uh, my favorite quote in this article, this is a Deseret News article. Um, they said, <laughs> uh, you crumble must have realized that the great Utah cookie war wasn't about who had the better cookie. It was about which cookie looked better on a phone screen. And so this whole that article very was true. just <laughs> about how, you know, it's more of like a status thing online when people post about their cookie, it's like, you know, I, you know, bought a gourmet cookie. <laughs> I'm eating my, so, my Butterfinger cookie. Or I was right. thinking, I think they have one that is like circus animals. They oh, have yeah, a circus have animal cookie. You know what my favorite one is? They have one that is a Muddy Buddy cookie. It's oh, yes, so good. That's very good. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so that was our first story. So that was our first story about Crumble. And then conveniently for us just breaking today. Breaking news today. A breaking news on the cookie war front. Yes. I, I hope people are as like amazed with this as we are. Because I, I, I'm sure at this point in time, <laughs> anybody who's listening to this podcast is going, these girls are all fluff and no substance. And in tonight's episode, you'd probably be right. Yeah. Okay. So breaking news on the cookie front. Apparently, Crumble is suing to other So it is not companies. enough to be the big gorilla in the room. <laughs> you got to take it to court they, to really prove you're the big gorilla right. in the room. They want... They want it all. So they are currently now, don't suing. you think that's a little greedy? I do think it's a little greedy because I looked up these other companies. They have like three stores each. I don't think you're going to cut into Crumble's In Utah. They're not, they're not outside of Okay, Utah. so who are they suing? Okay, one of them I think is actually in Mesa. Um, they are suing a company called Dirty Dough. They were found, founded in Mesa and now they have some shops now in Now is Utah. that a take on the Dirty Soda? Yes, dirty Dough. For sure. So, okay. you know, maybe... Maybe dirty dough and so soda. Del- maybe so delicious should be suing them also. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> you <laughs> are dirty. And then the other one is Crave Cookies. And they are suing them for copyright infringement. They're claiming that they have similar packaging and logos. Now, I did research this because I was like, Now tell me what you think. I'm going to have to see. I just got to like see. Yeah. No. I mean, they, they have a cookie box. Dirty Dough has a blue cookie box. That looks just like the pink crumble cookie box, but it's blue. But their logo It's a lovely shade of teal blue. Again, it would look very good in an Instagram photo. <laughs> their logo doesn't look anything like it. No, their logo and doesn't. And then Crave Cookies, I couldn't see what they how they package their cookies. But again, their logo is it has cookies in it. Yeah. But different font, different, I don't know. I guess their websites all kind of look similar. Yeah, their websites do look similar. Like they have big but videos of can cookies. Can you really trademark a website? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't a know. website look. A website vibe. Yeah. So anyway, but the hilarious thing is the owner of Dirty Dough, his name is Bennett Maxwell. He is fighting back against these lawsuits in the most hilarious way. Oh, oh, I've got to hear this. First, he's been tweeting. And in one of his tweets. Oh, he's taken a page from the Trump playbook. (laughs) Someone take his Twitter away. Okay. In one of his tweets, he said, apparently, if you put sprinkles on your cookie, Crumble thinks they own that. And then this is the best thing. He has taken out billboards for advertising and he is using this lawsuit in his latest marketing campaign to advertise in Utah. He took out a billboard that says, 
we don't file lawsuits. We just have better cookies. Hashtag oh. Utah cookie wars. Snap. <laughs> and then he did another one that said, oh, that is some serious shade. He is throwing shade. And then he did another one that says, cookies so good we're being sued. Hashtag Utah cookie wars. Oh, dang. David so, is taking on Goliath. Yes. And I'm like, so smart. So, so smart. smart. That is the best way to play this, right? Exactly. I mean, well, that might as gotta, well play up on that publicity or getting that free publicity. He's got to pump his business up because he got a big lawsuit to pay for. That's right. So anyway, I just think the whole thing is freaking hilarious. That is so funny. <laughs> well, staying on our theme of all fluff and no substance, we're now going to turn to another food favorite, fry sauce. Another food favorite, which apparently I did not know this till I read this article. Did you know Mormons invented fry sauce? Well, yes, I knew Mormons invented. How did you not know Mormons invented fry sauce? I guess I knew that it was like, like it grew a lot in Utah, but I don't think I realized that like actual Mormons invented it. Your cultural education. I knew it was like a Western United States thing, but like seriously, I don't know where I've gone wrong in culturally educating you. I cannot. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for the you didn't know it. I'm embarrassed I never told you. All I knew is the closer you get to Utah, the more chances your restaurant has of having fry sauce. Very true. But, well, we're going to talk about the origins of fry sauce. Now, I always knew that fry sauce started with Arctic Circle, which is a hamburger chain that started in Utah. And see, and that's where I didn't realize Arctic Circle started in Utah. But I do like their fry sauce. They, I cannot help you. They have really good fry sauce. Well, yeah, because they're the original fry <laughs> I sauce. Didn't, I didn't know that everybody they were else tries to copy them. I didn't know they were the originals. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I can't do anything with you. Okay. So let's talk about the origins of the fry sauce. Okay. So Arctic Circle was started by this gentleman named Don Carlos Edwards. And you would think with a name like that, he really wouldn't be in the burger business. <laughs> but Don Carlos was in the burger business. And he originally started as a barbecue chain in the 40s, and then he expanded to hamburgers and whatnot. And um, he had a son, and I don't remember what his son's name was, but his son had a son. So this is his grandfather, or his grandson, named Rick Edwards. And so Rick Edwards has kind of been the historian for the Arctic Circle chain and for the Edwards family. And Deseret News had put out an article, I don't know, several months ago talking about fry sauce. And they were like, hey, we don't know the origins of this. If anybody knows the origins of this, let us know. So he reached out to Deseret News. He's like, oh, I know the origins and I got the proof to prove I know the origins. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, the way that it started was... um, so Don Carlos uh, starts this Arctic Circle company, and he actually, um, his first restaurant was called Don Carlos uh, Barbecue on Main Street, and he built his clientele using a super secret mayo-based white sauce that can still be found on the Arctic Ranch Burger, Arctic Circle Ranch Burger. And I think of the Ranch Burger and I'm like Homer Simpson. I'm like, mmm, a Ranch Burger. I don't think I've had a Ranch Burger. <laughs> I can't with you tonight. Anyway, so the he had a friend who lived down in Provo named Ellis P. Or Pay, and they opened a branch of Arctic Circle in Provo in 1955. And so um, Ron Taylor was a family friend of the Pays, and the Pays had a son named Max. And Ron and Max were the same age, and so they'd go work the burger stand, and they were always allowed to kind of experiment with what they wanted to experiment. So one night they decided, hey, let's make a sauce that's two parts mayo, one part ketchup. So they made this sauce, and Mm -hmm. someone from corporate came, and they started handing it out. People loved it. Someone from corporate came down and was like, ooh, this sounds really, this tastes really good. So they took it up to Salt Lake to corporate and Don Carlos was like, oh yeah, let's do that in the restaurants. Well, then one night, so that, so then the restaurant owners are told, okay, you got to make this sauce, but the restaurant owners are okay. Like we have to make this special white sauce and we have to make this fry sauce. Well, one night some, some, some young men who were just basically lazy decided (laughs) we're just going to mix the white sauce with the ketchup because we don't want to have to like take this extra step. So they mix the white sauce with the ketchup. Customers love it. Don Carlos got word that they mixed the white sauce with the ketchup. He goes storming down there. They're like, well, try it. And he tried it. He's like, okay, this is really good. (laughs) Oh, okay. So Arctic Circle's fry sauce is not just 
two parts mayo and one part ketchup. It is the secret Arctic Circle white sauce mixed with the ketchup. Well, what's in that sauce? Well, that is a secret. And <sighs> Rick Edwards is not willing to spill the beans. But every once in a while, he lives in California. He owns an HVAC company. Every once in a while, he'll mix up like five gallons for his friends and, and deliver it. That's but why theirs is the best. That is why theirs is the best. I would like to take a guess. Is it pickle juice? I don't know. It could be because there's definitely some pickle stuff in there. I feel like it's pickle juice. So maybe it's a little mayo with maybe a little relish <laughs> and some pickle juice. My husband will be gagging when he listens to this episode. He okay. absolutely hates fry sauce. Maybe <laughs> we need to get that or just go in and ask for a cup of the special white sauce because we got Arctic Circles here in the Boise area and bring it home and deconstruct the white sauce. Maybe. Maybe. We'll report back. We'll report back. So there you go. There's the origins of fry, fry sauce. And now I have at least done my job to culturally educate you where I have neglected <laughs> in the past. Okay. All right. Next article. This was just a blog post that I really, really liked um, from By Common Consent. Um, and it was from last week and it was titled, You Didn't Fail at Church Checkbox Parenting. And the author, it's written by M. Jen. Well, I'm um, pretty sure I did. <laughs> Well, that's what this whole article okay. is about. We all need to read this article. It was very well written. Um, anyway, she's, she just says, uh, one of the worst things I've encountered online among church members is the idea that children leave the church because their parents did something wrong. And yeah. uh, the article is just talking about how like we just in our heads culturally have this checkbox of things we need to do as parents um, to, you know, lead our children to the savior and stay in the gospel. And she just says, you know, church checks, checkbox families are no longer a reality um, for really any family. And we probably need to confront that as a church. Um, she just points out the fact that like chances are very, very high that we all have members of our family who've left the church. Yeah. You and I have discussed that. St oh yeah. Statistically speaking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hugely, hugely. I, I would say like half. Yeah. I yeah. feel like most families yeah. average yeah. math. I mean, you know, some are in and out, but um, she, <laughs> I love this. She said, honestly, there should be a Sunday school class called You Didn't Fail, Parenting When Your Children No Longer Believe. Wouldn't oh, that be so good? I do that think would that be would be a so really good, good um, and helpful course. Yeah. And then she just points out that for a religion where agency is like so um, prized yes. and, and so... Revered. We get really mad when they use it. <laughs> yes. And we're like, why are you using your agency to make choices I disagree with? And she points out that that agency can lead to beautiful journeys that our children yeah. take. Even Very if it, true. Even if it's away from the church, it can be, again, part of a beautiful journey. And um, there's a loss there. But at the same time, you just you just never know where their journey is exactly. leading them and, and how it will end up someday. Or, um, But she said... Uh, what we, instead of perceiving this as a loss, maybe we could all rework our understanding of what God has planned outside of the checkboxes. Mm. Like there are a lot of other things. And I just thought that article was very timely. My husband and I were just discussing last week, you know, the space photos came out. Did you see the space photos from the new telescope? No, I did not oh. see the space photos. Well, okay. After we do this, we're getting online. I'm showing you the space photos from the okay. new telescope that came out last week. They are gorgeous. Like okay. clearer, brighter, best pictures we've ever gotten okay. of, of space and galaxies. And they just randomly pointed it out to like uh -huh. a spot where they thought they'd yeah. get something, but they didn't know if anything was there. Anyway, it is just like awe-inspiring. And just really? like, anyway, my husband and I were just talking about like, we know nothing like the, the universe is so vast and so huge. And I just think as parents, when we get caught up in this checkbox of we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to meet these milestones with our kids. It's yeah. really easy to just get caught up in that little bubble of life and church and culture and all the things we have to check off. And it's so important to remember that like eternity is forever and there's so much we don't know. Yeah. We have no idea the plans that God has for us. So um, sometimes all you can do is just love them and exactly and have faith and 
That really, yeah. that is because they have that annoying thing called agency. I know, but I really do think that would be a good Sunday school. Class. I do think that'd be a great. Sunday Let's school all talk class. about how we can love because our family members who I, left and keep maintain good relationships think, with them and not feel guilt and shame. Nearly every one mm-hmm. of my friends that's my age, each one of them have at least one kid who've left the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't remember that growing up with our parents' friends. Like everybody mm-hmm. stayed. Yeah, you know, and and I there's you know probably a whole slew of reasons why that has changed, good, bad, or indifferent. It is what it is. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be helpful for us as parents to be able to go, okay, that's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I disagree with that decision, but, but I'm going to respect. Right. And I'm going to let you do you. And I'm not going to internalize that it's my fault. Right. I'm not going to feel guilty. Yeah. I'm not going to feel shame Yeah, because it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, next article, Wilton, Connecticut. Now, I don't know exactly where Wilton, Connecticut is other than it's in Connecticut. Well, here's what's hilarious. You know, we have uh, for church buildings, th- th- there's the there's the one plan. You right. know, it just depends on the size of your building. Are you getting a meeting house or a steak center? The cookie cutter. The cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be with the 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 U shape with the classrooms all around. It's going to look the same and it's going to have the gym and the, the chapel in the center. Well, they want to build a new building in Wilton, Connecticut. And apparently before they can build their new building, they have to go through the architectural review board. Well, the architectural review board apparently is not so fond of our architecture. Oh, well, in Connecticut, so, high standards high, there. You know, that's East Coast elite. I think I have to say, <laughs> I kind of laughed because I like that because I I understand our cookie cutter buildings are functional and we don't have to spend a you know extra mm-hmm. money designing stuff. I, it, you know, I I I get the economy of mm-hmm. scale of the buildings. But I sure love looking at the older buildings that have all sorts of interesting architecture. So they told the church officials, um, you need a more interesting roof line. They did not like the roof line. Okay. And they gave the architectural review board presented a list of suggestions, including interesting architectural features in the roof line, a desire for more material samples for the proposed church, uh, which would be built across from the town hall if it gets approval. Also, apparently there was supposed to be some sort of a plaza and the plaza was going to be kind of near the main road. Mm-hmm. And then in the redesign, the church moved the plaza to the back. Well, the architectural review review board didn't like that. They're like, um, they said that, um, what did they say about it? Let me find that here. They said that um, if the plaza is meant to be an attraction for the congregation, having it in the back may not be the most <laughs> ideal location. <laughs> So apparently um, the Monument Plaza is not mandated by the church. It is something that the congregation desired to do on its own. And I thought, well, look at those rogue members wow, in Connecticut. What is happening in Getting Connecticut? Getting to put a plaza in. Can you do that? Well, they're doing it in Connecticut. I've certainly never seen it done here. Oh, that would never fly here. No, it would never fly I here. I feel like we should try to organize next time a church is being. I know. We, we got to get an architectural review board behind us. We would like a plaza, please. Yes, we would like a plaza. You gave one in Connecticut. Why can't we have a plaza? It would be lovely for our break the fast. Oh. <laughs> anyway, okay, so. I love that. I want to see a picture of this building when it's done. I, I, you know, there's an architectural rendition uh, in the article, which we uh, will link to. You know, it still has, the front of the building still looks very Mormony, you know, with the big steeple. And you can tell that that's where the chapel is. But it also looks, appears to be two stories, which is very interesting. Not just yeah, the plain one story. Yeah, so, that's pretty cool. Anyway, very cool. That is very cool. We had, um, when Keith and I lived in Santa Barbara, the stake center in Santa Barbara had an atrium in the middle with live plants. Oh, it was amazing. It was like the best was church. Was it like 1940s? Best church building ever. Yeah. Like it w- mid-century modern, yeah, yeah. kind of like the LA temple. Yeah. And it wasn't too far from downtown Santa Barbara. So it was, you know, the Spanish style. Yeah. And it was so fun. Like you're walking, you know, to your class or whatever. Yeah. You just cut through the little atrium and enjoy yeah. a little nature. Have a little nature. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Very, we're born very cool days. building. Yeah. Okay, next item up for bids, please. Okay. Oh, I'm up next. You're oh, up next. This is a cute story. Um, this was on, where'd we find this one? Is this LDS Living? 
This has to be LDS I think this living. was, yeah, I yes. think that was LDS living. It was living. LDS living. So this is a story um, about Michael Jordan's flu game and the golden ticket that helped one Latter-day Saint feel God's love. This is a really cute story. Yeah, I have not read this, so okay. enlighten me. So in 1997 in June, um, the Utah Jazz were playing game five of the NBA Finals against the Bulls, and it was in Utah. And this game is very famous. I know this because I have two basketball players in my home that talk about this a lot and watch all the Michael Jordan oh gosh. material out there. Um, it is called the flu game because Michael Jordan got sick the night before this game, okay. like violently throwing up sick. And there's long been speculation, was he food poisoned? Because Ooh. there was pizza delivered to the hotel. Well, at least the it wasn't the fry sauce. <laughs> no, not the fry sauce. But you got to watch out for that Utah pizza. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So there wasn't the fry sauce or cookies. <laughs> there's long been speculation. Okay. Did he have the flu or was it? Poisoning mm. by some, you know, jazz by fans. a rogue jazz yeah. fan. Which, if you've ever met jazz fans, <laughs> you could totally like the 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 food poisoning story is not far fetched. Right. Anyway, Michael Jordan went on to have like an amazing game where he scored yes. like tons of points and rebounds and the whole thing, despite the fact that he was throwing up right before. Where's the ESPN documentary <laughs> on this? There's got to be. An oh, ESPN. there it is. Okay. There's there's. Well, there's you would know since you yes. live with the basketball. Fans. I, I have watched it. So, um, actually I can't remember if it's HBO. I don't know. There's a bunch of them, but there's okay. a new one that came out this year that goes into all of this. Um, anyway, so this story is about, there were a couple of guys from Nike, a guy named Ken Black and a guy named Elliot Hill. They were right before this game in 1997, they were in Dallas on business for Nike, trying to sell some uniforms to the Dallas mm -hmm. Mavericks. On their way home, they had a layover in Salt Lake City, and it was going to be the same night as the flu game. Okay. Game five of the finals. So um, they were like, hey, we should see if we can like find a way to go to that game. We're going to be in Salt Lake City. Yeah. That would be so cool. So they start calling up their connections at the NBA, as you do when you work at Nike. Say, do you start with the NBA, or do you just call the PR person for <laughs> Nike and say, Call the PR person for the NBA. Give me some tickets. So they scored a few tickets from the NBA people. Okay. But then the next hurdle they had to get over was their flight. They only had like an hour layover. Um, and that was not enough time to get to the game and get back. But they also, did, were, they were young in their careers. And they were like, well, we can't just like not, like we can't just not use our tickets that Nike bought us to fly home and like buy our own tickets. Like that would be awkward. So they sweet talked the lady at Delta. Okay. The Delta employee, they said, hey, we can you put us on a later flight? We don't want to have to pay for this flight. Yeah. Our company paid for yeah. it. We can't miss our flight that our company yeah. paid for. Yeah. And um, so she's like, well, I don't know. She's wants, like, she's trying to see what she can yeah. do. And they said, listen, we have one extra ticket to the NBA finals tonight. And it's yours if you can switch our flight for us. And she's like, okay, but do I have to use it? Can I give it to someone? And they're like, no, you can give it to someone. So she finagles things, switches okay. their flights. Okay. This is good bribery. I'm going to give them points <laughs> for their like, I know. No, I'm not sure in today's world. Can that you fly can today? Can you do that, that today? Because I was reading this article going, that's amazing. How would you ever say no? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so they, so she finagles so the flights. She finagles the flights, but she tells them, okay, I would like to use this ticket for my 13 year old son, Chase, but here's the deal. If I get you these flights, you have to meet me outside the gates and you uh -huh. have to take Chase to this gate, uh -huh. her 13 year old son. Okay. And they're like, sure, we'll take him with us. <laughs> we can't, like, How interesting is it? I know. And your 13 year old son to, over to Nike executives. Seriously. So she talks about this and she's like, I don't even know these guys. She drops them off outside the stadium with these guys. Meanwhile, the 13 year old is like, whoa. Yes. He's like super excited and she's just like, what did I just do? I don't even know these guys. Am I going to get hired for it? <laughs> So yeah, that doesn't violate any HR policy. Yes. So they take her son into the game. Um, they said uh, they made him feel like one of the guys. Yeah. He's just hanging out with these, yeah. these guys from Nike. And then like midway through the game, um, one of the guys turned to the kid and is like, uh -huh. Does your, do you go to games a lot with your dad? And the kid, his name is Chase. He said, my dad just died. And oh. so this Nike guy says like the whole, that changed the mood for the whole rest of oh, the night. Yeah, Debbie Downer. So then they're like, well, we got to, we got to make this amazing yeah. for this kid. They're buying him popcorn, cotton candy. Yeah. Like they're trying to make it like really. If I was a kid, I'd go, um, can I get some Air Jordan swag? <laughs> you are Nike after all. Yes. So then, um, 
So then these guys, you know, and one of these guys, I think it said his, he had a parent that had died when he was younger. I think uh-huh. maybe his mom. So he totally related yeah. to this kid. And he talked to the kid's mom afterwards when they dropped him off. And she said, oh yeah, his died, mm-hmm. dad just passed away recently. It was suicide. And oh. Just like this, so, oh. such a sad story. So these Nike guys, these three Nike guys that went to this game with him, they've always remembered this as Chase's game. Like in, yeah. in their minds, it's no it's longer not the, flu game. the flu game. It's Chase's game. Okay. That is really cool. Okay. That so, is really cool. Isn't that a cute story? Yes. And this kid is LDS. Yeah. Um, they were members of the church. He was like a seventh grader, yeah. deacon, active yeah. in the church. So anyway, flash forward to present day. Um, these two guys, Ken and Nike that work for Elliot, or Ken, or Ken, and, El- Ken, Ken and Elliot that, that work, work for, for Nike, Nike have like risen. They've become like pretty high up yeah. execs at Nike over the years. And they've told this story over and over again. In fact, it said they even, they said they even told it to Michael Jordan once. Okay. Um, but I guess they have always wondered what happened to Chase and they yeah. never kept in touch. So recently Elliot was flying through Salt Lake and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to ask around. So he starts asking some Delta employees, Hey, do you remember this lady? Uh-huh. Her name was Mary. Her husband had died. She worked here for years. And some of them were like, Oh yeah, totally. And so they reached out to her and said, he wants to get in touch with you. They reconnected with the family. Uh-huh. Chase is all grown up now and has like three kids of his own. And he's married. And so they've kind of reconnected uh-huh. with him over this fun yeah. experience of going to the game and, and all that. Um, and then, um, and then this is super random. Uh, one day kind of in passing, Ken, one mm-hmm. of these Nike guys told, asked Chase if he still had his ticket stub from uh-huh. that game. Cause he's like, I know a guy that's collector that yeah. is looking for one of these stubs. Yeah. And I guess that Chase had just been really missing his dad and like mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, just that yeah. mi- missing. Yeah. And so he's like, well, I don't know. I'll go look. And he went back and he looked and he found his dad's old journals uh-huh. and was reading and just really feeling yeah. like connected to his dad. And he found the t- ticket stub, which he had saved in a plastic case. And he said the only reason he probably did that, because normally you wouldn't yeah. save a stub, especially because yeah. the jazz lost. Yeah. Um, the only reason he probably did that is because that was like something his dad had like instilled in him. Uh-huh. His dad was like a save your ticket, like yeah. a scrapbooker, yeah. journaler, yeah. recorder yeah. kind of a person. So he found this ticket and um, he got an offer for it for $7,500 from Darren Ravel, who I guess is like a ESPN guy and yeah. a collector. So, and it said that everyone involved said like, yeah, sell your, if you want to sell your ticket, sell, sell your yeah. ticket, go for it. Like yeah. They all were very supportive. And um, he just said that he felt through this whole experience that just like um, his dad was uh-huh. watching over him and heavenly father was uh-huh. like giving him kind of like a sign from his dad Aww. when he was feeling lonely. Anyway, it was a cute story. That is such a cute story. I did, I have never heard that story before. So yeah, that is very cute. cool. Okay. I have to go turn off my robot vacuum. Let's just start and carry on. Oh, Next story. Okay. I will carry on. Hence the, uh, the beauty of a lot. Well, I guess we're not, li- well, no, we're not live recording, but I know I wondered what that noise was. I'm like, what in the world? It's a little noisy. Okay. So we are going to move on to, um, not only is summer sticky floor season here in Southern Idaho and Utah, it is Mormon cricket season. And in some, some years, the Mormon crickets are really bad. Other years, they're not. This year, the Mormon crickets are horrible. So anyway, there is this article that appeared in a magazine or a newspaper publication in Oregon entitled, What's So Mormon About Mormon Crickets? Because they have them in Oregon too, apparently. Yes, they do. Have you seen a Mormon cricket? Do we have them here? Um, you know what? If you go out to Owyhee County, they're everywhere out oh. in Owyhee County. Mm. So they, they tend to stay away from like populated areas like this. Anyway, so the story starts out with a question. Eastern Oregon is apparently under assault by a plague of ravenous Mormon crickets. What's so Mormon about them? Are they morally upstanding? Abstinence? Polygamist? Please advise. (laughs) And it's signed, Rit Momney. That's funny. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> and it says, believe me, Rid, I'd love to convince you they're called Mormon crickets because of for their love of gold statues mounted on tall white columns. <laughs> anyway, so... <clears throat> 
The article is very funny. It's very tongue in cheek and it talks about them. They're huge. They're three inches long and they live for about a hundred days. They have a hundred day lifespan and they can eat 38 pounds of vegetation. So then he goes on and he talks about, you know, kind of the legend of the Mormon crickets that we've all heard growing up Mm -hmm. and talks about, you know, when your power flows from the precipitation that you are God's anointed, having your colony wiped out by literal plagues of no locusts is just not a good look. (laughs) Anyway. And so they, he goes and he talks about, you know, the story of the Mormon crickets and saving Brigham Young's crops and, um, Anyway, and so then he says, you know, secular killjoys are not entirely sold on the telling of this tale. But in any event, it's just kind of a really funny article that pokes fun at at the Mormon crickets. And um, yeah, I have not seen them out in Hawaii County, but I've heard that when they are ravenous like they are this year, Mm -hmm. they just cover the sidewalks, they cover the roads. And then as you drive down the roads, like you are driving over them and they are crunchy. It's like crunch, 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 crunch as you're driving. Oh, that's gross. So, yes. So we're famous for cookies, fry sauce, and crickets. And crickets (laughs) here in the West. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, Next story is by Jana Reese with the Tribune. We like a good Janerys. Um, okay, she this one was funny. I call this the Janerys cracked the code on oh. on why the word word Mormon is like not good anymore. We've been talking about this for years. Yes. This comes up all the time, but maybe I should not be calling them Mormon crickets. Maybe I should be calling them Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints crickets. Jana Reese is claiming she has cracked the code on the reason why behind all of this. Okay. Why? (laughs) Tell me, what is the reason? So um, she is just talking about how, you know, it's been several years now um, since President Nelson asked us all to, you know, stop using the word Mormon. Um, She said, you know, journalists are still doing it, not to be disrespectful, intentionally disrespectful. Well, habits are hard to break. Yes. She said it's hard to break. And she said also journalists are serving a broad audience. And so from their point of view, they need to like use the word that most people are going to recognize. Um, anyway, but she did say that Google searches, um, Mormon used to outweigh Latter-day Saint by 43 to 1. Okay. Now, several years later, it only outweighs it by 40 to 1. We're making headway. (laughs) We're very, very slowly moving in that direction. But she talks about how, um, like, it just kind of dawned on her recently that, like, um, part of this reason we're changed. She she mentioned several of the changes that have happened in the church over the past several years Um, to our church, um, eliminating the outdoor pageants, the temple marriage no longer requiring mm-hmm. couples to marry in the temple first to be sealed. Missionaries can talk to their families once a week. The missionary dress code has changed. And she just talks about how all of these are kind of like pushing us more towards mainstream. And then she also talks about how um, in the history of our church, there's kind of this pendulum and we've mm-hmm. swung back and forth between periods of rent retrenchment yes, and periods of assimilation. So a retrenchment, retrenchment phase is where we hunker down and call ourselves a peculiar people. And Do you think we're in retrenchment we're right be now? Weird. No. Um, she's claiming that this is a phase of assimilation. Okay. A phase of assimilation is when we're trying to be normal. <laughs> we're, we're trying to be like okay. everybody, like we're trying to like, you know, fit in. Um, so she's thinking that she calls it a we're not weird phase oh. when we're in an assimilation okay. phase. So she believes shedding the term Mormon um, is to help us like be more mainstream. Mainstream. We're not weird. Fit okay. in, whatever. So that's her theory. I don't know. All right. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Just as long as I don't have to call the crickets the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints crickets. That's a that's mouthful. A mouthful. <laughs> All right. Okay, my next story is American Ninja Warrior. So um, this was an article in the Deseret News that I happened to run across. Um, Ironically enough, I think I ran across it Saturday. So I have to tell you what I was doing Friday night. So American Ninja Warrior show was on Friday night for two hours from seven to nine. And I happened to have it on in the background. As you know, I'm doing this home remodel. And so I was working on my tile on Saturday night. I was stripping it down and getting it all clean and everything because I was getting ready to, you know, reseal it. And so I had this on in the background while I'm, you know, scrubbing on the floor. 
And like, seriously, every other contestant on there from Utah, from Utah, from Utah, yeah. and like, what the heck? So apparently Utah is this little hotbed of training for American Ninja Warrior. And they have a whole bunch of contestants on right now that are mm -hmm. not only from Utah, but also are members of the church, hmm. many of which have moved on from the semifinals and are being quite successful. So if American Ninja well, Warrior knew? is your thing, it's kind of like dance. You need to get to Utah because that's where the Mecca is. It's where all the training gyms and are. And that's where the training gyms are. That is so super interesting. I had no idea. I really, I, I, and I hadn't seen this article when I'm, when I'm, I don't want to say watching, but listening to this on television, you know, they're telling their stories and everything. I'm like, that person so has to be a member of the church. Mm -hmm. And so then the next day I saw this article and I was like, wow, hmm. I am not crazy that all of these Utahs <laughs> who are members of the church want to be on American Ninja Warrior. That's super interesting. Okay. So. Next article. This is another blog post from By Common Consent. Um, this one's written by Sam Brunson and it's titled, Girls Should Be Passing the Sacrament, Full Stop. He is oh. coming out hard on, oh, dang. His, on his feelings for this. And he's written about this before. Okay. A couple times before. But then okay. he said, I decided to write about it again because I feel like I need to be very blunt this time. So is there something so, that triggered him to write about this again? There is something that triggered him to write about this again. So in his ward, um, it sounds like he lives in a smaller ward. It says they don't have a lot of youth in his ward. Um, they only have one young man right now able to pass the sacrament. And so they sent out an email to the elders quorum asking for volunteers to like sign up on a sign up yeah. genius to help with whatever Sunday's passing the sacrament. And he has two daughters in young women's and he is thinking, why can't they use my daughters? And so he goes back and he, he talks about like doctrine and covenants um, prohibits deacons and teachers from administering the sacrament, which means passing and preparing it or not administering it because mm -hmm. deacons and teachers mm -hmm. pass it and prepare it. So, um, and then he also talks about, you know, a few years ago, they changed um, the policy so that if a mother is in the mother's room nursing, mm -hmm. a young woman can stand outside the nursing room take the sacrament from uh -huh. a deacon and take it into the nursing room for her. No, I did not realize that. Yes. Oh, that's very Yes. And this stemmed from, I can't remember. Oh, it was a ward in Chicago that we're having girls yeah. do that. And then the church was like, okay, let's, yeah. yes, this is okay. Like the church said, yes, you can yeah. do this. It's okay. Um, they gave the stamp of approval. So his theory is, well, okay, that was a step closer if girls can do that, why can't they pass yeah. it? And I think this idea has been bumped around for years, yeah. um, just amongst members yeah. discussion. Like, why could they not? There's nothing that says they couldn't. Ex Anyways, I totally get, um, I totally get his desire for his daughters to yeah. do that. As a mom of daughters, yes. I totally understand it. And it's not so much about the boys can do it, so they should do it. Well, it, it is, but also it's, I think, just the idea of having responsibility. I feel mm -hmm. like as a church, we're getting a lot better. When I first was in Young Women's, when we were first mm -hmm. newlyweds, it was very even divide. The boys pick up the chairs and do the sacrament and the girls do the babysitting. Like every time yeah. there's a Relief Society event, you ask the young women to be the babysitters. And I feel like we, even in my time in Young Women's, we were moving away from that. Mm -hmm. Like in my ward in Oregon, we would have the girls help with the chairs after church yeah. too. It was all the youth. Yeah. And we would have the boys help with the babysitting on yeah. nights where we needed yeah. that. We would have girls do a night, boys do a night, yeah. girls do a night. So it's, they've been trying to mix it. And I just think for girls in the church, there's not a lot of responsibility that you get to do. Um, so I, I totally get his idea behind it. Anyway, it's an interesting thing. Very it's an interesting, interesting thing to think about, exactly. especially when there's a necessity. Um, when it's a necessity, I think it's kind of a, like a, it makes you think of it in a different way, right? Like, oh, we don't have deacons. Why could we not use the young women? That's different. You know, exactly. it really makes you kind of think of it like in actuality, this is very practical solution. I don't know. Well, in interesting article to read. Very interesting food for thought. Yeah. Shall we move on to Mormons behaving badly? Yes. <sighs> I've been looking forward to this segment. I have some rather tawdry <laughs> things to discuss. We're going to discuss one really eh, meh thing first before we get into the tawdry okay. that I'm just like, oh, this is good. This is rich. <laughs> so just real quick, um, 
you know, we were talking about uh, FSY camps at yes. the beginning of the show and your daughter went to an FSY camp. As you can imagine, BYU is sponsoring a ton of FSY camps. And so just last week they had this homeless person who somehow or another got onto the campus and he inappropriately touched two girls that were attending the Ew. FSY camp like right in front of camp counselors, other camp, other FSY people. So he was uh, arrested without haste. Um, when the police arrived, the police, the, the advisor said, Oh, he's over there. The police go over to him and the first words out of his mouth are, I'm no pervert. And the police are like, dude, we haven't even asked you a question. <laughs> red flag, red flag. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so he was arrested and uh, charged. Super creepy. With two okay, felonies. I have to tell you when I read this article, my daughter told me when she was at FSY up in northern Idaho, the last night she was there at 11 o'clock at night in their dorm, mm-hmm. she was in a friend's room. Mm-hmm. A guy walked down the hall in a hoodie, and this was supposed to be an all girls dorm. And she said it was like a unicorn. It wasn't like a U of I hoodie. Yeah. It was like a regular guy. It, hoodie and so they went and told the counselor they were like uh we just saw this guy walk down the hall and then i think they had seen him outside the windows Uh walking around the building too she's like i don't think he's supposed to be in there because you have to have a key card to get in yeah and the counselor was like oh i think it's just someone it's probably just someone who works here and they the girls were like well he wasn't wearing a uniform he's wearing a unicorn hoodie and the counselor totally blew it off and i was like you freaking kidding no i was like um that doesn't sound good oh my god thank goodness nothing happened that i know of but when i when she told me the counselor blew it off i was like I would be like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I'm going to chase him down. I know. Where's my phone? I'm calling the cops. Wow. So, wow. Wow. Super creepy. Super creepy. All right. Sorry. Okay. Let's get into my tawdry and salacious because this is good. So, you remember Zach Wilson? Oh, yes. He is our favorite cougar. Our favorite cougar. (laughs) And the title of this article is Zach Wilson's Cougar Situation is All Over the Place. So let me tell you what went down. Um, so Zach Wilson, BYU quarterback, got drafted last year by the Jets. He's the Jets quarterback. He had this girlfriend that he had since high school, and her name was Abby Giles. And she was with him at the draft, and she went back to New York with him. Well, apparently in January, they broke up. Now, there's no official announcement of breaking up because that's not how kids do it these days. To announce that you're breaking up, you scrub each other from each other's social media accounts. Erase all pictures. Erase all pictures. Stop following. Stop following. And that is the equivalent of announcing to the world we've broken up. So that happened in January. There was very little fanfare about it. Well, this last weekend, um, uh, there was a picture posted. Um, so there's a gentleman by the name of Dax Maline, and he was Zach's roommate in college, and he was a receiver, and apparently Zach threw all sorts of touchdown passes to him. They're very close. This last weekend, Dax posted a picture on his social media account of him and Abby, because him and Abby are now together. And so somebody then uh, posted on Abby's account and said... Um, oh, and then they noticed that Zach and Dax have scrubbed each other from their social social media accounts, Uh-oh. which apparently um, in this TMI area, uh, athletes frequently use social media to send passive aggressive messages. Huh. So anyway, so so Dax and Abby announced their relationship and then um, and of course, athletes dating each other, each other's exes is a tradition as old as the Olympics. And um, Giles is one of the few people who successfully pulled off what is known as the Seinfeld switch. <laughs> anyway, so um, somebody put on Abby's account and called her what is referred to as a homie hopper. And that's when you like date your ex's best friend. And so she decides to air out some dirty laundry. And she claims, she she replied back and said that, uh, Wilson was sleeping with his mom's best friend, and that was the real homie hopper. Mic drop, boom, walk away. And of course, she immediately <laughs> deletes that comment after it's out there in the zen. Whoops. 
So the New York media being what the New York media is like immediately pick up on this. And so they are knocking on Lisa's door going, Lisa, Lisa's his mom. Lisa, who'd Zach sleep with? Which friend? Right. And we've talked about Lisa on here before. Yes. You follow her. I follow her. And so um, Lisa happens to open the door and she's like, this is just silly. I'm not even going to respond. And she just says, Abby is a very angry young woman. Anyway, so the only thing that Lisa says publicly, she says on Monday and she's like, would y'all stop calling my friends? Because everyone's trying to figure out who it is. Everyone's trying to figure out who it is. Zach, meanwhile, last weekend is up in Coeur d'Alene with several of his teammates hanging out at a swanky golf resort when all of this goes down. Mm -hmm. So he gets on social media on Tuesday and he's like, yeah, I've been out of cell phone range. What'd I miss? And I'm like, (laughs) his media advisor, that was such the brilliant response. Because I got to thinking about this. I'm like, okay, I don't know if he slept with his mom's friend or not, or this is, I I don't know if he's behaving badly or the ex-girlfriend's behaving badly. One of the two of them is behaving badly, but I'm not sure which one it is. Because I don't know if this is sour grapes or if he really slept with his mom's best friend. But in any event, if he were to get online and deny it, Mm -hmm. nobody would believe him. You know, they'd be like, oh, you're just denying that. You really did it. Is he going to get online and admit it if he didn't do it? So he just plays coy and the media has just eaten this up. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, you know, whatever response that Abby was seeking to throw him under the bus has now endeared him to even more people with the thought that he might have snagged himself a cougar. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it's had exactly the opposite effect and it's pumped his status up and it's just been there, an absolutely- There are memes floating around. Oh, there are memes. It's been a hilarious story I have to heard this talked about my pop culture podcast. Oh, are you kidding? It made the pop culture podcast? They referenced it last week very briefly because they don't really talk about uh-huh. sports, but one of the one of the hosts is into sports and he briefly referenced it and I was like, wow, there, there are a lot of people- who don't really know a lot about exactly BYU or Zach Wilson that have picked up on this yes. story and are very interested in it. Yes. You know what? I kept thinking through this whole thing and the media coverage. I just kept thinking this whole situation yes. feels like a brilliant Chris Jenner media plant. Oh, because of all of the good publicity it's got. Oh. She is like the queen of like, let's, plant some bad publicity and make it spin it to be good. (laughs) She really is. I feel like this, like she could have cooked this up perfectly. This is like right up her alley. So do we think Lisa cooked this up or do we think Abby? I don't know. I don't know. Cause that's the thing. I'm like, they're not, they're not so as conniving as Kris Jenner. Are they? Or are they? I or well, did the I team think, cook it up? I think she, I, no, <laughs> seriously. I think she truly is dating his ex-roommate uh-huh. now. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's like right. fake or yeah. anything. And I mean, because it came from the ex-girlfriend, it really does feel revenge I mean, why it, it would, does. why would your ex-girlfriend play into your media play? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, not only play into your media play, start the media play right. by saying, I'm not the homie hopper. He's the but I'm just saying it's like so good, like next level good. It feels it feels almost like Kardashian esque. Well, I I I do have to say I think both Lisa and Zach's responses. I you know I'm I'm sure knowing that he was going Mm. to New York, which they they are like the British tabloids. They eat their young. That he probably hired a very media savvy person Uh to help him navigate media and social media and all of that. And whoever this was, in my opinion, I'm like, brilliant, brilliant response. Which is so weird to me. So do you think this is just a New York thing that they are so fascinated with Zach Wilson and his family? Or do you think... Like, is New York like this with all of their athletes? Or is this an LDS, he's Mormon, he's a clean cut BYU kid. It's my thinking is it's two parts. This is New York. One part. This is a Utah thing. Okay. Um, the New York media has a history of always wanting to know their athletes, whether it's football, baseball, or basketball, who are they sleeping with? Like the tabloids, like that's their so relationship status to me. Cause I feel like we don't see that in West coast sports. No, we don't. Like, People just ignore it in general. Like, yeah. You know how like Meghan Markle was warned in, the British press right. will eat you alive? The British tabloids. Zach Wilson got a similar <clears throat> warning that said, oh, the New York media is going to eat you alive, honey. You better be prepared That's for so that. Interesting. There's not a tougher media market for a sports figure than New York City. That is so weird. 
I know. I don't feel like that happens with athletes and so, unless they're dating a Kardashian. So then. you've, yeah. So you've got the factor of the New York media mm-hmm. that is obsessed with the personal lives of their sports star. And then you have this sports star from Utah who looks like he's carved out of cream cheese. Mm-hmm. And so does his girlfriend and so does his family. Everyone in his family looks like that. So they have this kind of clean cut you know, all American look. And then you hear rumors of tawdry behavior that maybe is not so all American. I think Mm. the New York media just can't help themselves. They're like, this is a good story. (laughs) Anyway. So yes, it was, it was rising in the, um, in the social media sphere and Twitter sphere and all of that last week. Um, And like I said, you know, it, it, it it was a really good spin that Mm -hmm. Zach ended up coming out of this thing smelling like a rose. So, you know, revenge was not a dish served cold. Well, it's a good thing he's a boy because opposite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If this, if the situations were reversed and this were a female dating uh, a much older man. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it does show some sexism as well. Uh-huh. But in any event, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, getting on every day for my daily updates. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> All right. And then in my last piece of Mormons behaving badly and other tawdry news, since I'm doing tawdry news stories tonight, Uh Jen Shaw, she is on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh, yes. She used to be Mormon. She converted to Muslim or Islam. Yes. uh, When she married her husband, who is the football coach, assistant football Mm -hmm. coach for the University of Utah. As you know, she faced several federal charges for racketeering and wire fraud and a whole bunch of other stuff. She was set to start trial this week, but she ended up pleading guilty last week to wire fraud. And she now faces four, up to 14 years in jail. So Whoa. I think she'll be doing a little time. Somewhere between 11 and 14 years is the plea agreement. Well, so they're going to have to find a new housewife to replace her. Yeah. So anyway, I vote for Zach Wilson's mom. <laughs> She'd be a good housewife. Oh my gosh, she'd be the best. <laughs> but I think she has enough sense to go, I'm not getting in that cesspool. <laughs> She's got enough to worry about right She's now. Exactly. She's like, I got enough cesspool. I don't need that cesspool. All right. Uh, should we talk about our favorite things? Yes. Let's do favorite things. All right. Should I go first? Yeah. Well, we are keeping on the food. We both brought we food, both brought food tonight. tonight. Okay. So my favorite thing is- oh, We must be hungry. We must be. <laughs> this is- like the best seasoning. It's called, okay, Freddy's, the restaurant. Freddy, yes. Freddy's is like a custard restaurant. It's, I don't know. Is this a West Coast thing? Do they have these all over the United States? But they I'm have custard sure. and steak burgers. Their hamburgers are really right. good. I have a beef with their French fries. Their French fries are too I don't tiny. like their French fries. I want a meatier French fries. Their French fries are skinny. Yeah. Um, anyway, Freddy's is a restaurant, probably in the West, maybe all over. Um, they have, they sell in their restaurant, but they also sell on Amazon because I checked this Freddy's steak burger and fry seasoning. Ooh. You could buy it in a little jar. It is seasoning and it, supposedly they put it on their burgers. Okay, so hold it up there so our people, anybody oh, who's watching us watching on YouTube video can, can see, see us. Um, so supposedly they put it on their burgers, but we bought a jar and my favorite thing to do with it is to sprinkle it on potatoes and put it in the air fryer. Oh. It makes really good seasoned potatoes. And then I oh. discovered this week you can also sprinkle it on cauliflower. Oh. And roast your cauliflower, like little olive oil, uh-huh. little sprinkle of the seasoning. In the, in the air fryer? Roast it in the air fryer and then dip it in ranch. It's like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and they give you fancy yeah. cauliflower, yeah. like roasted cauliflower as an appetizer. And you're like, how come cauliflower doesn't taste this good at home? Oh, I'm so going to have to try that. Now, that sounds delicious. It can taste this good at home. So how long do you cook it for in the air fryer? Like six or seven minutes. Oh, that's. I'm going to have to go get a head of cauliflower. And yes. It's easy. Now, can I buy that in the it's restaurant? Delicious. Yeah, you can buy it at the restaurant or they also sell it on Amazon. Okay. Wow. So I'm pretty sure it would make anything good in the air fryer. Okay. I've tried potatoes and cauliflower. I'll let you know what I try next. Okay. I'm just going to sprinkle it on everything in the, that goes okay. in the air fryer. <laughs> I did two food things tonight. This is my first one. It is the goldfish vanilla cupcake uh, crackers. Those are delicious. So here's what I like about them. 
they, you put them in your mouth and they just kind of melt in your mouth. I, and they have this graham cracker vanilla thing. They are so yummy. So I'm trying to be a little healthier and cut back on excessive amounts of sweets and things. And so I will have these like as a nighttime snack, I'll take like 10 to 15 little crackers. I'll put them in a little bowl. I'll eat them one by one. They are so yummy, but here's the problem. So I had, I have my little stash of these mm-hmm. and I, I kept them hidden. Well, I happened to get them out one night and I was eating them in the presence of my husband. And my husband was like, oh, what are those? So I let him have a few and he's like, how come you've been holding out on me? And so now I have to buy like three times as much Uh-oh. because he's like, he will literally sit down and down a whole package. They are just that yummy and delicious. So the okay. second thing I brought was Sprite Zero. If you have not tried the Sprite Zero, it is, I I do not like Diet Sprite, but I love the Sprite Zero because it really does taste like Sprite and it is so good. So those are my two recommendations You are drinking Sprite instead of Diet Coke? Well, I still drink Diet Coke, but- (laughs) I know, but I don't think I've ever seen you drink another soda besides Diet Coke. Well, I know. That's (laughs) why- The the only other soda that I keep on hand besides Diet Coke is I really do like Fresca. And so like maybe at night I'll be like, okay, I don't really want to have a Diet Coke, but I want to have some sort of a soda. So I will do the Sprite or I will do a Fresca, but I'm loving the Sprite Zero. I don't like, like I said, I don't care for Diet Sprite, but I try the Sprite Zero. Sprite Zero. Well, I share with you, but you don't want my COVID germs. Nope, not drinking your COVID germs. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that's it I for think us. that about wraps it up for us tonight. Twim Nation, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was so fun to be here. Uh, we hope that you enjoy the show. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out at contact at thisweekinmormons.com uh, and Jeff will answer you. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you really, really, really want to be a super loyal fan, join Patreon, three bucks a month. Keep our power bill going. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening.